0: Our sermon text for today is out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Now, that is not what your bulletins say, right? And it is not a mistake from the office. It's your pastor realizing that he bit more than he could chew. So our text is going to remain a little bit shorter than, than anticipated for today. And we'll cover the remaining verses next week. This is the word of the Lord. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one with, one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirits, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commended even the unclean spirits, and they obeyed him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Autonomy and individualism are part of the American spirit. Isn't that true? We were born out of a cry to be independent. And that's what we celebrate tomorrow. But are we truly autonomous? Is it even possible to live a life in complete autonomy? And if it were, would that be a good thing? Our society yearns for that, doesn't it? Some cry for complete Sexual autonomy, love is love, they say, without thinking about the consequences of that statement. Others cry for complete autonomy from the gov- the governing authorities, so they say, "Don't thread on me." Some seek to live in complete autonomy. By going off the grid. You know what that means? That means disconnecting from society in every way. And I started looking into living off the grid, and I began my thought, I began thinking, that's crazy. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized, but it's appealing. No, I'm not going off the grid. I'm a city boy if you've ever met one. But it's interesting to consider what motivates people to do that. Well, what do you need to live off the grid? Well, you definitely need land. You also need a water collecting system, perhaps a vegetable garden. So on this website that I was looking at, I started going through some of these things, and then I ran into this statement. If you want to live off the grid, you need to have a power generating system with backups that can provide you with all the electricity you will need to run all your appliances, stove, refrigerator, washing machine, TV, computer, and charge your cell phones and other mobile devices. That doesn't sound like living off the grid to me, does it? Even when we seek autonomy, we don't really want it, do we? We want autonomy, but when we realize the implications of not living under authority, we realize we don't know what we need. Authority is powerful. Authority is dangerous. Authority is unavoidable. Complete independence is an illusion and the concept of spiritual autonomy is completely foreign to the bible and to christianity friends we are all creatures under authority we may try to run from it like the prophet jonah or we may reckon with it with spiritual maturity jesus in mark 1:15 says the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning God's ruling domain is here. There is no such a thing as autonomy from the authority of God. To live in Jesus' kingdom means to live under Jesus' authority. Jesus shatters any concept of freedom from authority that his followers Might have had. But there is another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. This kingdom too has authority. The kingdom of Satan, by nature, by birth, by inheritance, we are citizens of that kingdom. Satan, by nature, has authority over us. Some among us, still this morning, are under the authority and the bondage of Satan. And the only way we can move from under Satan's authority is by coming under the authority of Christ. Colossians 1, 13, and 14. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In our text for today, we're going to see that what distinguishes Jesus from everyone else is the fact that He has authority in a way that no one else has authority. Jesus' authority trumps all other authorities. And friends, the good news is that Christ invites us to live under His authority. So first, let us consider Jesus' authority teaching. There's a little bit of a geographical movement here in our text. And usually when we see geographical movement in the Gospels, it also symbolizes Jesus advancing his mission. Jesus, in our passage last week, was at the Sea of Galilee. And now he is in Capernaum, a city by this lake, by the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum literally, means the village of Nahum. Perhaps referring back to the biblical prophets. Capernaum was an important city. It was a crossroads. If you needed to go north or south, east or west, you would have to go through Capernaum. It was a wealthy city. But it was a godless city city. Capernaum became Jesus' headquarters in his Galilean ministry, which is going to take the first half of the Gospel of Mark. Capernaum was far from Jerusalem in every way. It was a long distance, but it was also spiritually far. From the center of the religious life of Israel. Capernaum was a city filled with dead religion. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, you would have it would have remained until this day. In Capernaum, there was a well-established synagogue. The word synagogue literally means the gathering place. Archaeologists have discovered a 4th century synagogue in Capernaum, and underneath that 4th century synagogue, they found the ruins of a first century synagogue it is possible it is likely that that was the synagogue that saw jesus come in the synagogue was primarily a place of teaching unlike the temple which was a place for sacrifices with the rise of greek influence and greek thoughts teaching became permanent In the Jewish world, they wanted to defend their worldview against the pagan worldview proposed by the Greeks. It wasn't difficult to establish a synagogue. All you needed was to find in a city at least 10 men, 13 and older, 10 Jewish men, at least 13 and older. Many cities had multiple synagogues. The synagogue was led by a director called the ruler of the synagogue, but he wasn't the teacher. Teaching was done by laity. Teaching was done by elders, scribes, and rabbis. It wasn't at all uncommon for an itinerant teacher to come to a synagogue on the Sabbath to teach. And that's what Jesus did. It is interesting that throughout the world, the synagogue was the place of the Jewish religion. It was a place where the Torah was taught. But what we start seeing in the Gospels and in the book of Acts is that the synagogue comes into conflict with the church. It becomes a place of largely opposition. So the movement began by Christ, known as Christianity. On the Sabbath, as Jesus was accustomed to, he went to the synagogue and immediately he began to teach. At the heart of Jesus' ministry was his teaching. We saw a few weeks ago that Jesus began his public ministry... By proclaiming by teaching the gospel, and now again we see Jesus publicly, and what is he doing he 's teaching now it's interesting Mark hardly ever tells us the contents of jesus teaching instead Mark emphasizes Jesus' actions. And he emphasizes the manner of teaching. How did Jesus teach? Jesus taught with authority. When Jesus spoke, people listened. Have you ever seen that? Someone with authority walks into the room. Draws attention the person speaks, and everyone listens. Well, that was characteristic of Jesus. What does it mean to teach with authority? Perhaps the word that Mark uses here in the text might help us answer this question. The regional word that Mark used is. Exousia. Exousia is a composite word. Ex, right? Think of exits. Not, not the same word, but think of exits out of. And usia means nature, essence. In other words, Mark is saying that Jesus taught out of his nature. Friends, we all have derived authority, we, we rest. On the shoulders of others. Jesus has authority that is innate to himself. Jesus teaches out of his own nature. This is why he's able to say, You've heard it said, yet I say unto you. When Jesus Speaks the law of God is exposed, the law of God, the truths of God is revealed. What is Jesus' nature? His authority is the authority of God, there is no end to his authority. Jesus' word. Ordered the universe. Jesus speaks to a star and he moves. Jesus speaks into the empty and something is created. Jesus speaks to the dead and they become alive. Jesus speaks and all. Obey. Mark constra- contrasts Jesus' teaching here with the scribes' teaching, doesn't he? He says, He taught unlike the scribes, meaning the scribes did not teach with authority. Now, that should be shocking because the scribes were the PhDs of the day, they were doctors of the law. They spent all day, all night, every day studying Torah. In rabbinical traditions. They were specialists at entire schools of rabbinical thought. So, when they would teach, they would often quote other rabbis and scribes and they would present their opinion. But Jesus didn't speak opinions. Jesus never had a mere opinion. Every time Jesus spoke, He spoke facts. When Jesus spoke, God spoke. Every word Jesus ever every, ever spoke was a definitive word. There was no greater authority in heaven or on earth. And Jesus. Hebrews 1 1 and 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Were the prophets authoritative? Yes. But look at the first word in, chap- in verse 2. But it's a contrast. Jesus' teaching is being contrasted with the teaching of the prophets. But In these days, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. It is final. It is definitive. It settles it. Whom He appointed to be the heir of all things, through whom all things were created. Imagine you're taking a class, an interesting class. And, and the teacher is knowledgeable, but utterly unrelatable. In this class, you're going over a book, and you're very interested in the book. The book has shaped you. But the teacher seems to not be affected by the book. This teacher speaks of this book casually, almost as though the book were not important. So this class becomes utterly disappointing and, frankly, boring to you. But one day, your teacher doesn't show up. Instead, the author of the book comes and teaches the class. And he is engaging. He is persuasive. He truly believes this book. And his life has clearly been changed by the contents of this book. And because he wrote the book, he knows it better than everyone else. And you think, wow, I could sit through this class a thousand times over. Friends, this is what was happening here The people at the synagogue were astonished. They were literally blown out of the water. They had never heard truth the way they heard it from Jesus. They were fed preaching that was based on the word of man and not the word of God. The religion that they were used to was dead. And it was dead for a long time. This, friends, is a recipe for disaster disaster. This, friends, is a recipe for faithless religion. And this is why at Central Baptist Church, the point of our text, the point of our message is always the point of our passage. We preach out of the Word of God. We seek to expound on the Word of God because it is in the Word of God that we find life. Friends, many religious movements can give the impression of life. But it is only when the Word of God is preached and applied to our lives that we truly receive the words of life. When the disciples of Christ are faced with being excluded from all of society, and and Jesus asks them in John 6, Are you going to leave me too? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. Friends, we seek to preach the word not in a way that is going to build a crowd, but in a way that will build faith. My concern is that your souls are nourished with the word of God. my, My concern is that you would look to Christ and be astounded, astonished with His glory. Friends, we're not trying to build a crowd. We're trying to build a church. And a church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles upon whom they're built, the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. Faithless religion is religion that is filled with jargons and practices, but lacks the transformation that the Word provides. Faithless religion may even proclaim the gospel, but it does not obey the gospel. Faithless religion may look moral, but it is plagued with pride at the heart level. Faithless religion is characterized by a lack of astonishment with Christ. I wonder, are you astonished with Christ? What role does Christ play in your daily life? Does Christ consume your thoughts? Do you wake up every morning and think, I can't believe Christ called me to himself? Perhaps you're new to us, and you haven't considered Christ. Or perhaps you are a child here, and you come to church with your parents, but you're not sure what your relationship with Christ really is. Or perhaps you are like some of the folks in the synagogue. You go to church every week, but you've never really been astonished with Christ. You come because this is how you were brought up. Or because it feels right to be religious. It is possible to be involved with a Christian religion and not be a Christian. It is possible to produce fruits of religion and not enjoy a relationship with Christ. So, how do you come under Submission to the authority of Christ. You believe in His Word. It is not enough to know who Jesus is. We must believe Him. And what's the difference between knowing who Jesus is and believing in Jesus? When we believe Jesus. When you believe Jesus, you don't just know truths about him. You know truths from him. And his truths change you. My wife's doctor can tell you information about my wife that I will never even understand. But he doesn't know her. I know her. Friends, let us make sure that our relationship with Christ is not just on the information level, but on the transformation level. And friends, for that, we need intervention. We need to be awakened. We need faithless religion to be shaken off of us. We need to hear the gospel, and we need to heed the gospel. Friends, we need to truly believe that by nature, we are in the realm of Satan. And we would choose Satan every day if Christ didn't intervene. Satan is more appealing to the natural man than Christ. Oh, but friends, when we come to Christ, our blind eyes are made a given sight. Our deaf ears or given the ability to hear. When we come to Christ. He gives life to dead hearts. He causes us to love that which we hated. And for us to hate that which we loved. Because we realize that what Christ has done. Could not be accomplished by us. Friends, we are enemies of Christ. We rebel Against his authority. We hate what he loves by nature. But in our rebellion, Christ gave us what we needed himself. And, and by uniting himself with us, Christ is able to transform us. The antidote to faithless. Dead religion, the antidote to showing up every week to the synagogue, to the temple, to the church, and never knowing the truths of Christ is to believe the gospel. It is to say, I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. We sang that earlier. Didn't we? And that he died for me. We also see Jesus' authority not only in his teaching, but Jesus' authority over demons. We're often so unaware of the spiritual realm around us, but there is a constant war being waged between the kingdom of God and the domain of Satan. This war is being waged right now, In this very place, this war is over your very soul and my very soul. If you don't belong to Jesus, you are enslaved to Satan. But the good news is that Jesus' authority isn't just in word, but it is also in deed. Jesus' power is infinitely greater than the power of Satan. They are not evenly matched. Jesus' kingdom has come and all other domains will bow to him. You notice that Jesus never bows to anyone in scripture. But Mark 3:11, we're going to see that in a couple of months this is in a couple of months, and whenever the unclean spirits, by the way, this is Mark's favorite word for demons, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, Christ, they fell down before him and cried out, "You are the son of God." they can't even lie the authority of Jesus is so powerful that they proclaim truths about Christ it is interesting that throughout the first half of the book of mark the only beings that seem to know exactly who Jesus is are the demons the people were astonished but they were really confused you notice that question what is this a new teaching they're not sure who Jesus is they thought Jesus was a superior teacher but not much more than that the demons however they knew Jesus was God and how did they respond they were terrified every time a demon sees Jesus they scream they cry out In terror. I wonder what you think you would do if you saw Jesus physically right now. Why do the demons react this way? Why do the demons discern who Jesus is better than men? It is because they are aware of the spiritual realm. They are able to see the invisible. They are able to see that which we are not able to see. They were created by Jesus. They were created for His glory. They were created to accomplish His purposes. And they also knew that they would eventually be judged and destroyed Jesus, There is a lake of fire that burns that is prepared for Satan and his demons and everyone who lives in allegiance to him. The demons knew who Jesus was. They demonstrate this in two ways. The demons knew two things about Jesus. They knew Jesus' mission. When Jesus showed up at the synagogue, the demon blows his cover. The devil does his job best among us when he is under cover. He disguises himself as an angel of light, but when his cover is blown, he shows his true colors. He shows his wickedness. Have you noticed in our society how that which is godly is condemned and that which is godless is celebrated? Why do you think that is? It is because Satan is the god of this world. It is because Satan is quietly and deceptively guiding our society to love what God hates and hate what God loves. This is true in our society, but the battle is also true in our lives. Satan is actively working to convince us that God is a liar. He does that daily, and he is good at it. When Satan stays undercover, he does his work best. But when Jesus appears, that is that is what we need. Right? In order not to fall prey to Satan, for Jesus to appear. When Jesus appears, the deception of Satan is revealed. Satan's work thrives in darkness, but Jesus is the true light. The demon cries out, What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth. He's speaking here in the plural because he's speaking on behalf of the entire domain of Satan. And he asks, "Have you come to destroy us?" He knows what the mission of Jesus is. What's the answer to that question? Yes. Jesus came to destroy them. Jesus came to destroy the accuser of the brethren, that ancient serpent. Jesus came to destroy he whom has deceived the nations. The demon knew exactly what Jesus came to earth for. First John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You know, one time in my former church, A gentleman showed up in great distress, and he said, I need to speak with a pastor. So I, I came to talk to him, and he said, I am noticing demonic activity in my house. Every day, I hear things, I see things that are not supposed to be happening. He told me that he lives on an ancient Native American burial ground and he believed that because of that Satan was messing with him in our time together he expressed even in our gathering ways that he was seeing demonic activity the gentleman went home and never came back one day I moved and I went for a jog in my new neighborhood. And I hadn't jogged for more than 200 meters. And I looked to the right. And I realized that the gentleman is now my neighbor. That means my house was built on an ancient Native American burial ground. And yet, I lived there for three years. and never experienced anything. The works of the devil were not present in my house ever. Why? Because Jesus has destroyed his work. Because his work does not work on the believer. Why? Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I went on to find out that the man was an exceedingly wicked man. No wonder Satan was having it with him. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That's the work of Christ. That's the mission of Christ. But this man, this demon, also knew Jesus' identity. Throughout history, explicit demonic activity is very muted. We don't see this kind of activity every day, do we? Certainly demons are all around. There are legions and legions of them. But why don't we see much demonic activity today? In fact, the Old Testament has no records of demonic possession. And after the Gospels, there are only two reports of demonic activity in the book of Acts. None in the epistles. Why is that? Because demons in the Gospels played a redemptive historical role. They revealed Jesus' identity and they demonstrated Jesus' authority. They could not disguise themselves. They could not hide themselves because a stronger man had arrived. There was a new sheriff in town. The demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What an interesting title. The demon, the opposite of holiness, recognizes Jesus as holy. The demon wants to exercise authority over Jesus by revealing his identity. But Jesus would have none of it. He tells the demon to be quiet. More literally, he tells the demon, shut up. Why? Because Jesus is the one who decides how and when. He reveals himself. By the way, Jesus' ministry was very much about concealing who he was. That's what he says in the parables. Isn't that true? Very often he says, do not tell anyone who I am. Why? Because Jesus decides whom he reveals himself to. The title, Holy One of God, is unique and interesting. It emphasizes Jesus' holiness is a consuming fire. It does not get stained by the profane. It instead destroys the profane. The title is only used referring to a man one more time in the Bible. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same title is used to refer to Samson. Now, Samson is, is a interesting character, isn't he? He's a strong man who destroyed the works of God's enemy. You know the story, right? The people of Israel was in great distress, and God provided for them judges. Samson was one of these judges. And he fights against the Philistines, and he has incredible power, incredible strength. He was able to kill thousands. He was able to tear apart beasts. He was able to carry heavy objects he was able to do incredible things. Samson delivered the people of God in the physical sense because he was physically strong. But Christ, the Holy One of God, delivered the people of God in the spiritual sense because he is spiritually strong. Matthew ten twenty eight And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and body. In hell, Samson, the strong man, was also foolish. And he became enslaved and bound. But Jesus is never foolish. He is the definition of wisdom. Jesus does not find himself bound. Instead, he binds Satan. And he takes back everything that had been taken from us. When Jesus defeats Satan, we are restored. When Jesus binds Satan, our enemy is restrained. He is defeated, Mark 3, 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house, that is Satan's dominion, and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he... Indeed, he may plunder his house friends. Satan was bound by Christ. Satan right now is restrained. He is not able to deceive the nations the way he once did. And because of that, here we are. We have received the gospel. We have believed the gospel. Everything that Satan has stolen from us, Jesus has returned. We are weak and vulnerable to Satan. but oh, Christ is strong on our behalf. Listen to this quote from James Edwards' commentary on the Gospel of Mark. Jesus' defeat of the strong man in Mark 3, th- 3.27 is not at the expense of Satan's victims, but on their behalf. Not only are clean spirits expelled, but broken people are restored to health and wholeness, and the, the possibility of restoration of their Creator in whose image they are made. Friends, the devil hates you, and he wants to destroy you. The devil finds victory when he creates discouragement, confusion, dissension. He is a liar and a deceiver, but Christ fights for you. Every time your heart is discouraged, Christ fights for you you every time you're tempted to sin christ fights for you every time you struggle in your faith in your relationship with god every time you're tempted to forsake christ and forsake all things christ fights for you so we need to find shelter in christ but how do you do we find shelter in christ from the works of the devil first under Jesus' teaching. We find, when when we find ourselves discouraged, confused, when we find ourselves with our weak faith, Jesus' word corrects us. You know the hymn we sang earlier? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. We have no guilt within. We've been forgiven by Christ. What do we do? Upward, I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Friend, when Satan tells you, Christ will not save you. When Satan tells you there is not enough forgiveness for your sins in Christ. We're reminded that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient Jesus' sacrifice is like an arrow that hits a target. His sacrifice is precise. His sacrifice matches every single one of our sin. His sacrifice is not generic. If you want, receive it. No, His sacrifice is efficient. It accomplishes what it says to accomplish the redemption of those who are His. Friends, Satan wants us to despair, but Jesus wants us to have peace. Jesus wants us to walk in faith. Jesus wants us to know that Satan is defeated, and his words tell us that. But we can also find shelter for the work of the devil in the body of Christ. In the church. It is interesting that the demon reveals himself in a synagogue, a place of worship. Satan is interested in keeping religion dead. The demon didn't show up at a place of prostitution or drunkenness. No, he wanted to keep those who were who wanted to hear the words of God confused. He wanted to keep them practicing dead religion because Satan. Hates true religion. Satan hates the church. Satan hates this church. Because this church is under the authority of Christ. He will attack this church and any true church incessantly. But we have a promise. The gates of hell will never prevail against us. Satan wants to destroy Central Baptist Church, but Christ, did we hear this earlier, will hold us fast. Satan loves a church that's filled up with gossip. Satan loves a church that is filled with cliques. Satan loves a church that doesn't care about prayer, evangelism, and missions. Satan loves a church that is not willing to love beyond its comfort zone. Satan, more than anything, loves a church that splits. And any church that thinks they don't need to pray vigorously and work tirelessly towards unity is an easy prey for Satan. Friends, by nature we drift. By nature we bite and devour. By nature we withdraw. And that is the work of Satan. But Jesus came to destroy the work of Satan. And in the church, the work of Satan is already done destroyed. We have the Spirit of God, and there is no room for any other spirit. So if you're not a part of a church, can I encourage you to consider membership at our church? What we offer is not just a name on a list. What we offer is is partnership with Christ and His body, a place where your soul can be cared for the way God designs your soul to be cared for. It it is a place where the love of the brothers and sisters abounds. Yes, in the midst of sin, in the midst of mess, in the midst of brokenness, yes, 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 God is redeeming us. God is transforming us. But in the midst of all this, we experience the power of the Spirit. So if you're not a member of a church, can I encourage you to attend our starting point class that's going to be presented mid-August. We're going to do it on Sunday evening. And consider there the importance of uniting yourself with the body of Christ so you can be protected from the work of Satan. Now, Notice in verse 27 as we finish, that the people again respond with astonishment. What is this? They don't know. What are they seeing? They've never seen this. A teaching with authority. A a teaching that actually enables for the work of Satan to be destroyed. As a result of that, Jesus' fame spreads. Throughout the surrounding regions of Galilee, he demands silence, but those who see and those who experience the their authority of Christ are not able to keep silence. They speak of Christ. Friends, when we individually and also corporately live under the authority of Christ, we make Christ known. One of the evidences that we have experienced the authority of Christ in our lives is that we speak of this authority to others. A church that is under the authority of Christ is an evangelistic church. Is a missional church. It's a church that speaks the gospel in casual conversations, in intentional conversations, at home, at the grocery store, everywhere. The authority of Christ will be expanded as we speak of Christ. And more and more men and women from every race will come under his authority. The best evangelistic strategy we can possibly put in this city is for us to live as though Christ truly is Lord of our lives. In the Lord of our church. Would you pray with me? Father, Jesus is mighty. Lord, Jesus is powerful. And Lord, we have come to experience His authority. We praise you for Him, Lord. Lord, help us not rebel against our Savior, help us not believe the works of the devil. Help us persevere in the salvation that has been given to us, Lord, even as Jesus perseveres, completing the work that he begun in us. Thank you, Lord, because we have been made to see the wonders of Christ. We are astonished with him. Thank you, Lord, because you have revealed Christ to us. Help us live under his authority. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.